0: Thank you, You be seated. I love that chorus. Did you turn me off because I was singing with my mic on? Thank you so much for helping me out there. God's good, isn't He? I uh, I had Robbie read uh, Ephesians six for a reason, and uh, obviously we're in prophecy uh, in the book of Revelation, and been there for quite a while. But this past uh, Thursday, we uh, had our third, our third graduating class, I guess you would say, at our mother's morning out. And uh, so in here, 40 graduates, 42 graduates, something like that, about 120 parents and grandparents and six or seven dedicated teachers. We did that on Thursday. So this is our third graduating class. Amen? Amen. Folks, it's a great ministry, and I wanted Miss Diane to come and just share just a few minutes about just about what they're doing and and the vision they have. Let me tell you how good it is. We have great teachers, a great staff. We're booked. We're already at capacity for next year, and we have a waiting list in every age group. And uh, so uh, that's, you know, because of Diane's leadership. Come on, Diane, share, share a word. You do come to the pulpit and stay down here where you want to go? Shirley. Shirley's...
1: especially with special needs and autism, there's so much going on in our, with our children now so it's really important for us to stand on top of them and we want to do the right thing for our kids but we want to do not the thing for our kids and most of all teach them about the love of the Lord so thank you so much for supporting
0: us and, and letting us be able to have this ministry because I really feel like it's making an impact so thank, you. thank you Donia It is interesting, before you walk out, baby, how many, that's my wife, if you didn't notice, I called her baby, that's young. Um, how many autistic children do we have? Um, right now, this past year, we had Okay. If you know anything about autism, we're, we're for some reason, we've developed an ability to minister uh, to autistic. We have um, therapists that come to our school. Right. Good. right right and plus our numbers our class ratios are to where it doesn't overwhelm our teachers to have a special needs special needs child so anyway i want to share a little bit about that it's just a wonderful thing when thursday we got to celebrate uh the the graduation with so many people and uh just a blessing your investment in that i mean we started that three years ago and and it's been a tremendous blessing and to think i guess as a preacher i'm thinking that we've shared the gospel and taught the bible three days a week to 40 children and uh we're committed to that and and that's just a great ministry of redland baptist church let me mention a couple other things um if you have your bibles go ahead and turn with me to revelation chapter 11 and and when you're, while you're turning there, and when you get to Revelation 11, then I want you to go back to Ephesians chapter 6, okay? But uh, just a couple of things as far as church life is concerned. Next Sunday, uh, obviously we know it's a holiday weekend, but we're going to have a a church-wide luncheon following our morning worship service, and we're going to have spaghetti and lasagna and all the things that go with that, and just a great time for us to, to fellowship, uh I think the cost is $5, $15 a family or a love offering. And uh, anyway, we want you to stay next Sunday morning after morning worship for a time of fellowship and and eat, eat lunch with us. Also, we're starting back our SAM, a senior adult ministry, our SAM ministry. will begin again this Thursday at 8.30, correct? And so it's um, it, it's been like 16 months, 15 months since y'all met uh, I can remember how difficult it was for us to decide that yeah, we weren't going to meet anymore on those Thursday mornings. And it's hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, we are going to start our Sam's ministry back uh, on on Thursday. And also, Miss Teresa, hey Teresa, you want to stand up and sing for us? Okay, <laughs> Teresa will be. If you have any questions about the the say what whatever right, money, or even ordering something for, for Avery, uh, she'll be in the foyer after morning worship. So you can see her. She'll be out in the foyer after morning worship. Hold your finger at Revelation chapter 11. You know, we've we, uh, been looking at the, we're in the what they call the trumpet judgments, seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and then bowl judgments. We're in the, we're in the trumpet judgments. And by the way, we're in the woes, the last three trumpets, are called the three great woe judgments and we'll get to that in just a minute we're in 10 and 11 we'll be in 11 today but i want you to go back to ephesians chapter 6 where brother robbie so graciously read this passage you know i just and i know this is unrelated to prophecy in in the sense of of the context by the way but it is related because children go up to be accountable to the lord and one day jesus is coming back and Either you're saved or you're not saved. Either you'll be raptured or not raptured. You'll be left here in the tribulation or you'll be taken. Uh, I love what Paul says: uh, "We shall not all sleep. Not everybody's going to die and be in the grave." It's First Corinthians 15: We shall not all sleep, but he does say, "But we will all be changed." Talking about being, everybody who's ever been saved since the cross will be changed by the power of Christ. You know, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then All of us would be glorified, you know, receive our glorified bodies. And that includes boys and girls that need to be raised in Christian homes and be taught in churches. So what the experience in Thursday, you know, for the third time, our our graduating for our our mother's morning out, it made me think about home life. And uh, I will return to this on Father's Day. But I just wanted to read uh, Galatians, I mean, uh, Ephesians 6, I mean, Galatians, I'm sorry, Ephesians 6, uh, yeah, one more time, and, and just share with you a little bit about what the text is saying about about parenting. Uh, this is Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, just think about, now this is God's design for, um, part of this is picking up on the fifth commandment, you know, honor your father and mother. By the way, that is the fifth commandment. Uh, it is a commandment with promise, and God promised that life would be better in the land, the promised land if children would obey their parents. But folks think how far how far removed we are from this biblical truth now I'm not saying your life is far removed, it may not be, but how far our society, our culture has drifted from biblical truth. Children, obey. Now, the idea of obey, really, it's a wonderful word. And I won't get into all the language part of it, but it's two words put together. The first word is to hear, and the second word is under. So if you translated the word, literally, it would mean to hear under. It means to submit to what they say, if you want to put it in our term. So translated in English, it's obey. Children, listen to your parents and do what they say in the Lord, for this is right. This is a command. This is an imperative that children obey their parents in the Lord. Uh, This is how they understand accountability. This is how they get an understanding of God the Father that loves them. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. I know prophecy says at the end of days, one of the signs that we're getting towards the last days of the church age is that you will not have common concern and love within the family. Paul mentions that. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. I wonder how many people even know that honor your father and mother is a commandment. And... and, and, you know, how many people know it's an exodus? It's one of the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of people have no idea. So that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Why does it say fathers? Because I know sometimes maybe D.D., that's Diane, or Mama, maybe... D- Diane may provoke children to wrath sometimes, but why does it say, or women, wives, moms, grandmamas. I didn't mean to just pick you out, honey. You're precious. Precious, honey. Anyway, um, it says, why does it say fathers? Why why does it say fathers and not mothers and fathers? Because who's the leader? Father. That's why it says fathers. Because father's the head of the home. And he's the spiritual priesthood. So it says fathers, and if you study this, you find that more than likely if there's going to be uh, provoking in the home, it does happen more with fathers, but fathers do not provoke your children to anger. But I love this phrase, and somebody gave me a book by this title the other day from a conference they went to, and they're not here today, but the book is called Bring Them Up, and, and children... Don't, don't provoke, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. You know, you could not find a more living word than the word that is translated, bring them up. Uh, it, it could be a farming word. It was a word used in sowing and reaping and, and a husbandman, uh, like when a farmer would be responsible. So you would sow the seed you'll nurture the seed, you'll protect the seed until it produces fruit. It's the whole process of nourishing that until it produces, until it grows and matures. It's kind of the whole word there. So fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. Uh, One scholar says, uh, nourish them up. I like that. Uh, One scholar said, nourish the life of faith. I like that. So fathers, do not provoke your children to, to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. Another great word, discipline. And this is the word that a, a, a first century Greek would use, even or a Jew that spoke Greek, would use to describe the education of a child through its preschool and, and, and school age years. It's the word they would use for like preschool and childhood education. That everything that 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 child, so it's translated here, the discipline. That all the things that are required to raise a, a godly child, all the things that are required, translated here, discipline. Just think about the responsibilities of the home. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Nourish them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When we think about the Shema in Deuteronomy six, where you know, where God commands the children of Israel when they go into the new land that when they go into the promised land and they inherit houses and fields they didn't build and didn't plow. And he says, I want you to remember my word, and you know, as you walk in the house and walk on the way, teaching to your children when they lie down, when they walk. And put them as frontlets on your head. And the one thing we know is remember God's word. And here it says instruction. It says in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, and, and this word uh, instruction to me uh, it, it's 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 a word they use in counseling a lot. Uh, a type of counseling that we believe in called neuthetic. But it means to uh, frame the mind. So fathers and parents are to discipline and frame the mind of their children in the Lord. Have a massive responsibility to teach boys and girls. Folks, there's a the massive responsibility, a huge responsibility that we have. The home, home is the teaching element of, of, for children. And we need as a church, but we as parents need to be committed teaching our boys and girls I think about when we do parent-child dedication we'll say we talk about teaching faith living we want to be committed to teaching the Bible to boys and girls but we especially as parents and grandparents need to be committed to teaching truths of scripture to our, to our children and grandchildren now, I'll give you this little illustration and this, this is nothing I, by means I don't want you to think I'm bragging because this is nothing but our, you know, we recently, my, my grandson, our oldest grandson was saved about a month ago, and I baptized him two or three weeks ago. And so what I've started doing is, uh, he's nine, just turned nine, and so at least once a week, I call him on the phone. They live in Opelika, and I'm going to do it for Solomon, when Solomon gets old enough where we can read together. And, and Caleb, I, I'll say, I want you to go to the book of, we've been in the Gospel of John, and we've been in the book of Genesis. And so he'll find his dad. will be there with him. <laughs> I get to preach to his dad while he's there. So, and so we will turn to the passage, and I read the scriptures. And I say, now, Kayla, this is you, know, you understand what that's saying? And so for, and it's not for more than 10 minutes, but we read. And then I'll read a verse, and he'll read a verse. And then I'll read a verse, and he'll read a verse. And then I'll comment, and I'll tell him about this is what God's word is saying. And, folks, this is some of the glorious things I do today is to, is take just a few minutes each week and teach my grandson about God's Word. Amen? Well, folks, this is the stuff we're supposed to do every moment of every day. We're to nurture faith living. Now, I sound to say this. An important thing that we do as a church is we nurture faith living with the parents in Mother's Morning Out. That's a blessing. But another blessing is we do this every Sunday morning in Sunday school. Amen? Every Sunday morning, we do it in Bible study. We nurture faith living for for boys and girls. We're doing it right now in in children's church. We're teaching them about God's holy word and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So folks, this is why we love the church. This is why we are the church. We want to nurture faith living, amen? So thank you for sharing, honey. Thank you for being a part of our Mother's Morning Out. Your Bible's open now to, uh, to Revelation chapter 11. And like I mentioned, I probably will return to that passage a little bit when we celebrate Father's Day, but Revelation chapter, chapter. well, let's look at the end of chapter 10, and uh, then we'll get into chapter chapter 11. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time reviewing. You Most of you know everything that I'm going to say now anyway, but. You're, when you're in the book of Revelation, you, it really outlines itself. If you really want to know that, go back to chapter 1 while, while you're here. Go, go, go back to chapter 1. And revelate. it does this twice in the early part of the book of Revelation. It outlines itself. In the revelation that John gets from the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus gives an outline of, of how it's going to go, what the whole book is going to be about. And verse 19 is that outline. So if you're ever thinking... What does the book of Revelation deal with? This is what it deals with. Now, there are three big pictures. Number one, he says, write therefore the things that you have seen. Now, it's, it's, this is John, John, the apostle John is getting this revelation. And remember, John's an old man. Scholar, most scholars would agree he was in his 90s. Uh, he's the last man standing. He's the last apostle alive. By many years, by the way. He's outlived all the other apostles by many years. And so he's getting this revelation while he's on this island, and being persecuted. The island of Patmos, isolated out there, being persecuted. He gets the revelation, and so Jesus and the angel communicate with him. How, how? What's going to be? What he's going to write about? He says, "Write therefore the things that you have seen, okay, the past. Those things that are, well." John was in the church age, so the first part of Revelation. He's, so the things that are are going to be the church age. We're the church age. We are. This is the church age. He says the right things that that you have that have seen those that are, and those that are to take place after this. And you say, well, after what? After what? Well, after the church age. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because of what. What chapter four, verse one says. Go go to chapter four, verse one. What does it say? What's the first two words in your Bible? After this, right? After what? Well, chapter four, verse one, picks up with the age after the church age. What you've seen, what is, and what will be. And what will be is the future. Which which comes when the church age ends, and of course the church age the church age ends at the rapture, and and the, when the dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are alive will be caught up meet the Lord in the air. First Thessalonians four. So that's the, that's a general outline, and so where we've been for several weeks is we've been talking about what's going to be, the things that are going to happen after the church age. That is the tribulation, and in the tribulation. It, it lasts seven years, right? And in studying what Jesus said in Matthew 24, he quotes Daniel out of Daniel 9. We know that the last three and a half years, by the way, let me remind you, believers are not here in the tribulation. You understand that? We're not appointed unto wrath. So we're in the, ra- the wrath of God's being poured out. And, and so in, in those judgments, uh, there's 21 judgments. And seven of them are seals, and the seals are important because you'll remember what you've seen. You can go back and read it, but in, in chapter 3 and 4, Jesus is, opens the seal. He, he breaks the seals. And he breaks the first seven seals of this scroll. It's really a deed because it's written on the front and the back. It's a deed of, of the world. Ownership. Jesus is the one that owns it all. So he has the authority to, to break the seals of this document. And so he's the one that breaks the first seven seals, and and most scholars believe. And of course, I, we didn't live in those days, so it's kind of different for us. But when he broke the seventh seal, in the seventh seal were the seven trumpets, and in the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet was was the seal was the bold judgments. So Jesus really opened it all for the world to see, so to speak. And so John's been writing about this ever since chapter four, verse one, when when Jesus, when the angel said, come up here. And so uh, after the church age, John is raptured, just like we're going to be raptured. And so everything from 4 verse 1 on is somewhat of the future, especially 6 through 19, Revelation 6 through 19. And so we're in Revelation chapter 10, really in chapter 11, but I want to go back and read a couple of things in chapter 10. And we read, I think we read most of this last Sunday morning, so just, just hang in there with me. One thing I was thinking about, um, I did a cross-reference this week out of um, in uh, Genesis, it's Genesis chapter 13. For the sake of time, I will just quote it. But remember one of the illustrations uh, the Bible gives us about the end of days. It talks about the days of Noah. Uh, Jesus says that. Matter of fact, Luke says, he said that uh, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say this. Where Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, as in Genesis six, you know, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. But in Luke's gospel it also says, and as it was in the days of Lot, and as in Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. And just in cross referencing verses this week, I again visited Second um, Peter where Peter deals with that. We won't read it right now, but Peter deals with that. And, and the, the point is, is that what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus says, is going to be going on on this earth at the end of days. Now, so, so prior to his rapture, prior to the rapture of the church, prior to the tribulation, life in this world the world that God created and breathed life into man, and he's the owner of it, this world's going to be living. It's going to be, the characteristics of this world will be much like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what's there's just so many things that are profound about that. The one thing that I, that strikes me as being just so interesting is that the whole scene was set up because Abraham and Lot, their herds, got so large and so some of their herdsmen began to argue over where they were going to graze and all that and so Abraham was smart enough to say we need to split up. Y'all know this is an Old Testament story you know it well and so Abraham told Lot he's a gracious rich and of course he's very wealthy but Abraham says to Lot pick a place and now they're in the promised land and and so in the land of promise then is the land of promise and so, what does Lot pick? Well, he they're in, they're in the Jordan Valley, and he picks the area near Sodom, which what we now know as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the and it's called Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, Zoar and a couple other places. So Lot picks this place that he wants to take his 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 cattle to, and and it says in Genesis thirteen. And Lot lifted up his eyes. I think about us walking by faith and not by sight. So his decision was all based on what he could see. And so what does Lot do? He looks and it says he saw the Jordan Valley. It was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So when when Lot saw this land, it reminded him of what he had heard about the garden of Eden. And it reminded him about what the Israelites had when they were captive in Egypt. They had resources. When he looked at the Jordan Valley, that's, it, it was a well-watered garden, right? That's what the Jordan, and so he picks that. One of the illustrations now that Jesus is using, as it was in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Do you know what that area looks like has looked like for 3,500 years? A waste. There's nothing. There's The, the Dead Sea's down there because everything's dead. There's nothing there. And I've mentioned that there's nothing but sulfur. There's nothing but sand. There is absolutely nothing there. And Sodom, the city of Sodom, they just now have found it in archaeological digs, but it has not existed in 3,500 years. God wiped it off the face of the earth. And Christ's reference and Peter's reference is he's talking about the lifestyle of the people at Sodom is going to be the lifestyle of the people in this world when Jesus comes back. So I'm honest with you, the sins of Sodom are going to be mirrored by the world when Jesus gets ready to come back and and pour out his judgment. Well, I, I can't not take you there. Go, hold your finger again at Revelation 11. Go to Second Peter. Okay? I know I'm taking... I'm taking my time. I've still got an hour. Okay. Go to go to second second Peter. Go to second Peter two. Um. And and look, listen, listen to what uh, listen to what the Lord says in His Word about about Sodom and this prophecy. I'm in second Peter two. And. Uh, well, let me just pick up at verse 4. We'll read down through verse 10. And, and we, we have visited this before, but it's very profound and helps us understand the end of days. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, that's referring to Genesis 6, but he cast them into hell, and remember I used the word Tartarus. That was a different, it's a Greek word. It doesn't matter, but we move on. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, he's just saying if God judges sinners, but he saves the saints, I mean that's what he's saying God's going to hold people accountable um Romans two five says that that lost people sinners are storing up wrath for the day of judgment romans two five so that So they're they're stacking up judgment, the sinners are. Without without forgiveness, you're going to pay for your sin. So if by turning the cities, verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous lot greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So if God did that, then God, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And then he says, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions, and they despise authority. So I love that what Lot first saw, that after God judged it, it's nothing like that now. And it's just a reminder that God is going to fulfill his word. And just as he held Sodom and Gomorrah accountable, he'll hold this world accountable for their unrighteousness. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 11. At the end of chapter 10, beginning at verse uh, 8, and this is somewhat, I don't want to completely out of context, but let's, it'll make sense. It says, then the voice that I heard, Revelation ten eight. then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel. Remember, there's a the thunders and there were voices, and then he's told not to say anything what they are saying. He can't write what they're saying. So he said, "So, so go and take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea, and on the land." So I went to the angel and and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, "Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter." but your mouth, it will be sweet honey. And, and again, just a great picture is, it's God's truth and it's precious. But what it's going to describe is bitter. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's it's brutality because God is going to judge sinners. And, and as the New Testament says in Revelation, he's pouring out his wrath undiluted. You know, there's no redeemer. There's no substitute. There's no advocate, Jesus Christ. These folks are unsaved unredeemed, and his wrath is going to be poured out on sinners, undiluted, full force of God's wrath. People are going to be reckoning with God the Almighty without any substitute. And it's not going to be pretty. Um, so so when you know the truth, I mean, it's great to know God's word, but to, to know what's happening to people is going to be bitter. I think that's what he's talking about. And it says, And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey. In my mouth, and but when I, I had eaten it, my stomach was was made bitter, and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages, and kings. Now there is a there is an interesting part of chapter ten where there's these voices that he hears, and they speak, but then God, he tells him to seal up the seven thunders that spoke, and you can't write it. So it's interesting that there is part of this judgment that John heard and it's the only part of the book of Revelation that it says that John heard something from the heavens that God did not allow him to write uh, Paul kind of had some of that when he went to the third heaven Second Corinthians 12 and he talked about he wrote that some of those things you just can't talk about his experience we don't know, We people would like to know but we don't know what all John experienced in those seven thunders chapter 11 this extremely important remember i mentioned to you that the gospel the gospel saves you need the gospel you and i need to be living the gospel and sharing the gospel Um, it is in christ alone that god saves you know in christ alone by faith alone through scripture alone that god saves sinners this is how he does it And during the tribulation, God is going to have witnesses during the tribulation. Even, you know, when we first started in Revelation several months ago, some of the first parts of the tribulation, we we meet the 144,000 witnesses. And they witness, and and there's this multitude that are saved uh, that nobody can number that are saved during the tribulation. And they're saved because they hear the gospel. And folks, people, in order for people to be saved out of the world of darkness, and if you've been Listening to our studies, when I say the world of darkness, you understand how severe that is under the, under the domain of Satan. That would, In order for people to be saved and see the light, they have to hear the gospel. It's the power of Christ in the gospel that's going to bring them to salvation. Nothing else but that. And that's true now, but it's going to be true in the tribulation. People will hear the gospel of Christ during the tribulation. And these are, you have 144,000 144, witnesses that are Jewish. Then you also have these two great Jewish witnesses called the two great witnesses. And that's what we're going to read about in the next uh, seven minutes. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and this is in heaven. By the way, everything that was built on earth the true temple is in heaven. The, the true ark and all those things. What was put on earth is a model of what's in heaven. The original's in heaven. I was going to measure, Rod. Staff was told, rise and measure the temple of God and this altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out for it is given over to the nations. Now what does this imply? If, if John, now this is during the tribulation, he's to measure the temple. So what can we imply by that passage? If you're a literalist, if you believe it says what it means and means what it says, what can we say from chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3? Is there going to be a temple on this earth during the tribulation? Yes. That's what it's telling us, okay? It says, uh, Paul says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, John says the same thing. So there's going to be a temple, so, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that, out, leave that out. First, give it over to the nations, the outer court of the temple, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, remember the 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 last half of the tribulation is called the great tribulation, and remember what marks the beginning of the great tribulation remember what the Antichrist does? He he goes to this very temple that's going to be reconstructed and he's going to violate the very covenant he had made with Israel three and a half years earlier and then not only is he going to break the covenant, he is going to demand he be worshipped in the very temple that the Jews had built to worship Jehovah God and that's The Bible calls that the abomination of desolation, okay? That's what begins the great tribulation is him defying the original covenant he made with Israel. So it says it will be given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. That's three and a half years, 30-day months, by the way, Jewish calendar. And I will grant authority... So they're going to be just, this is the last part of the tribulation, they're going to be just running wild. I will grant authority to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy, by the way, if you read that in the original language, it said, it really reads, the two witnesses of mine. These are witnesses that God has planned from eternity past to use at this very moment in time in history uh translated to my two witnesses, I just love the two witnesses of mine uh that are mine. I will grant authority to my two witnesses. Are you his witness by the way? think about that. Are you a witness for christ acts one eight you shall receive power after that, and then you will be my witnesses you will be you will be my witnesses. The great commission witness. Uh, we're to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ I love what John says in 1 John he says what we've seen this is what John said a witness was what we've seen what we've heard and what we our hands have handled we now declare to you and he was kind of setting up like a courtroom scene what, what a witness would say well you and I have a witness about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and we're, we're to be witnesses. So, 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 and I will grant authority um, to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days that's three and a half years exactly in sackcloth and ashes, or clothed in sackcloth. This, this is a, a, their proclamation will be one of repentance this sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if, and if anyone, olive trees and lampstands, okay? Great picture there. Uh, Their body, light of the world, okay? Uh, if anyone would harm them, see, I, I believe this just like I believe the locust in Revelation 9 coming out of the abyss, out of the pit of hell, are demonic entities. I believe this is what it says. I I don't have to come up with some figure in my mind what this means. It means what it says. It says, and if anyone would harm them, these are the two great witnesses, if anyone would harm them, fire pours. Remember with the 144,000 witnesses, God sealed them, right? Remember before the, before the locusts would go out and sting and all that to people, he, he, he sealed he sealed uh, the 144,000 witnesses and none of those things could, pur- could hurt the sick. Well, here he says, if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now let me mention something here, and we're not here just to talk about this, but just something to think about. You can just say this on your own. People have debated who these two witnesses are, you know. And... uh, the miracles or the power that these two men have are seen in the Old Testament um, matter of fact they're exactly what these the prophet Elijah and and Moses uh, Moses had the power of the plagues the blood and all that and, and Elijah shut the heavens up and it did not rain if you go back to the Baal worship and you know the, the challenge he had with with the prophets of Baal. So they can make it won't rain and and over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And and when they have finished let me just say something right there because it's not definitive. It says in every plague as often as they desire, every plague. And if you'll remember I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the plagues of Egypt that God used to Moses, when Moses would, through God's power, would would project, would you know, predict a plague, and then Pharaoh would have a hardened heart, and then God would deliver the plague, right? All the plagues were in defiance of one of the gods that Egypt worshiped. You with me? Every plague was a rebuttal of some deity that Egypt had erected and they worshiped and said, this is one of the gods that we worship. So whether it was frogs or blood in the river, all of these were responses to deities they had built to worship. Well, it makes me wonder that when these prophets are on the earth during the tribulation, what kind of plagues may they be able to deliver based on the gods that this world will continue to worship just a follow uh, says and strike the earth, whatever kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, by the way, you will live until God's through with you. Okay, you will live until God's through with you. It says when they had finished their testimony, the beast. and this looking at your Bibles, I'm gonna tell you something you may not have even known. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit. What? By the way, this is the first time he's, he's known as the beast in the book of Revelation. Won't be the last time he's called the beast. He, here's something to deal with, okay? We can't deal with it right now for time. But look, it says, and when they had finished their testimony, okay? The beast that rises from the bottomless pit, well, the beast ends up being the Antichrist, Okay? Not Satan. This is the Antichrist. And where did he come from? He rises from what? The pits of hell. The Abuso. Kind of bottomless pit. You can go over to chapter chapter 8. I mean, we're introduced to the the, the the entities that come out of the uh, chapter 8, 9, verse 1. The bottomless pit. It's the Abuso. It's hell. It says, it rises from the bottomless pit and they make war on them. So the beast, again... I can't. I can't deal with. But the beast rises from the bottomless pit, and he makes war on them, and he conquers them, and kills them. Now, by the way, let me tell you something. This is how you know that these witnesses are overcome. They're overcome and conquered by the beast. And again, I know you know this, and I know if you're studying this, you're thinking, you know, it's it's. I kind of get this. But you know that, that the church can't be represented here. The church is gone because the church will not be conquered. We're, the church is overcomers. So these two men don't represent, or prophets don't represent the church. The church has already been gone. And you know that they're not present because these, people, these guys are defeated. The church, you know, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You with me? So we know that the church is gone. It's already been victorious. So it says, and when they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottom of the pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Are you reading your Bibles? This is incredible. Now you could imagine up until about 50 years ago when people read this, that they, they would not know not only how incredible this is, but how this is going to happen, right? And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. It's really Jerusalem, but he gives them symbolism of, of their spiritual condition. Uh, That symbolically is called Sodom, sexual deviancy, and Egypt, idol worship, where their Lord was crucified. So we know it's Jerusalem. So they laid their dead bodies. That's what they've done to the city, by the way. So they've laid the the prophets in in their city. For three and a half days, uh, some from the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze, I'm sorry, For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. So they will be on public display to decay, okay? And those who dwell on the earth, so people gonna watch it, okay? And y'all know how that can happen. 30, 40 years ago, we had no idea how you could do that. But all over the world, people can watch it. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice. This is the only rejoicing in the tribulation. Those who are dwell on the and that, remember that phrase dwell on the earth, earth dwellers, that are that are in love with the world, this earthbound. They're bound to the things of the world. That dwell on the earth is a very emphatic statement about the spiritual condition. Dwell on the earth It says. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. This is the new Christmas. This is a new holiday. They will celebrate the death of the two witnesses because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. I think about my witness and your witness. Does this lost world, is it offended? Is it challenged by the words that I speak and the words that I share? They're tormented and by those who dwell, are tormented by their words, by the things they prophes- prophesy. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God enters them and they stood up on their feet. Now the rapture is going to be a quick event, you know, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's how Paul puts it into the Corinthians. That's going to be a quick event, twinkling of an eye, you know, quick. Uh, but this seems to be in a, in a kind of a stage-by-stage stage process, and, and, and since we believe the Bible, the world's going to be watching. I know I'm out of time. Let's finish. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life of God will enter them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. That's exactly what uh, the angel said to John in chapter 4, verse 1. Come up here. Now obviously this isn't the rapture because the rapture happens earlier before the tribulation ever starts. But it is like a rapture. Come up here. And it says, and they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. Can you imagine the chaos in this world when these two men who have witnessed are recently, basically they're resurrected on live TV for the world to see. It's a worldwide testament to the power of salvation, the power of God. God will put life back in their body. Well, let me ask you a question. These men will physically be resurrected. But the Bible says that in this world right now, you can experience a resurrection. And it's a spiritual resurrection. The Bible says that you're a descendant of Adam, and in Adam all die in sin. But God can save you from your sin by infusing inside of you a new life. The Bible calls it the new birth where his life can be placed in yours by faith. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is coming to judge the world in sin and righteousness. The only hope man has is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe and repent and know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I pray that you'll take that very seriously. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed with a, with a word of prayer. While you're standing... Since I blown my time limit anyway, I'm sorry, honey. Uh, my nursery workers are who I'm worried about. I'm not worried about you. You know, you're just comfortable in here for you. Uh, but anyway, uh, you ever think about who the two witnesses are, that, folks? I've never. I've always thought it was it was Moses and uh, it because Enoch didn't die because these guys are killed. But that's not a good theological argument when I really looked at it. But anyway, let me just say this that. You don't think about this, but when you're reading the, the New Testament, remember at the tomb, the resurrection tomb? There were, it doesn't say, you think it's angels, but, but all the texts say two men were at the tomb. The Mound of Transfiguration, two men, right? And, and so many scholars believe those two men, which were Moses and Elijah, are going to be the two witnesses here, I think, which is a good argument. Amen doesn't really matter but it is interesting let's pray father we love you and thank you for worship we thank you for the sacredness of your word and father pray that uh lord even now that we'll realize that judgment is coming that that even though we live in a world full of wickedness and sin that god we've been sent here placed here as your witnesses to share the gospel and the good news of jesus christ so that that you through the power of the gospel might bring people out of darkness into your marvelous light, that the chains of darkness may be destroyed, the works of the devil may be canceled, and they might be born again in the kingdom of God. Above all, we thank you that the tomb is empty and life in Christ is ours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.